0: Our scripture today is from John 13, 21 through 30. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking Some thought that because Jesus had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Lauren, for reading that passage of scripture, this fascinating story of Judas. Annie Dillard, who's... My favorite author, kind of like by a million miles probably, um, said this one time. She said, my whole life I had been a bell and never knew it until that moment when I was lifted and struck. Yesterday, many of you, if you're on our email list, you received an email from me uh, called the, The Friendship of Christ was the subject line. Yesterday was my 34th spiritual birthday. Uh, January 21st, 1989, I became a Christian. And it was, a, it was an experience like that where I was lifted and struck. And um, what I'm about to do is tell you a story. I'm gonna tell you the story of Judas. And one of the things that is just a reality of being a, a, a preacher is I look into a room full of faces and I don't know why you're here. Like, I don't know why the Lord has brought you here today. And I know that for as many people as there are in the room, there are as many different experiences of interacting with words that are said and songs that are sung. Um, but if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I am calling you into one today. And I say that not knowing who's hearing that. But I'm going to tell you a story. It's the story of Judas. Before we do that, I want to pray and ask the Lord to use this. So let me do that. Father, I thank you for the way that you take broken things, the way that you take ugly things, the way that you take uh, terrible things and use them in redeeming ways. Uh, Even things like the story of Judas. Father, I pray that you would use the story of Judas to show us ourselves um, and to call us out of darkness and into light. And I ask this in the name of Christ, amen. So on the Thursday of the last week of Jesus earthly ministry he sent two of his disciples Peter and John into Jerusalem to secure a room and it would be a room where he and his disciples would celebrate the Passover which was one of the biggest holidays of the Jewish year and that meal that they shared has become known around the world as the last supper And that last supper took place within just hours of Jesus being arrested, where he would be led away into the catacombs of the temple, and he would be interrogated, and he would be blindfolded, and he would be struck on the face by members of the Sanhedrin who would mock him, saying, if you really are a prophet, then by all means prophesy and tell us who it was that hit you. All of that was hours away from the passage that Lauren just read for us. And John, the apostle, was at this dinner And he wrote about it. In fact, in his gospel, he dedicates several chapters to one dinner. You will not find anywhere in scripture that much text about that short of a period of time. And one of the details that John gives us here is he tells us that he was seated right next to Jesus. He was so close to him that he was able to lean against him. And so he heard every word that was said that night. And so I want us to look at this account of a necessary but horrible moment, and that is Judas's departure into the darkness. When Jesus said to Judas, what you are going to do, do quickly, he said it right after he had finished washing his disciples' feet and explaining to them how they all needed him to make them clean. And he said, not all of you are clean. And he said, one of you has lifted your heel against me. But here at this point in that meal together, Jesus moves from euphemisms, like one of you has lifted your heel against me, to something much more direct, And what he says is, one of you will betray me. And now they understood. In Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 26, he tells us that when they heard this, they were all deeply saddened. And in Mark's gospel, Mark 14, we learn that their response was that they said, is it me? which is a way better question than is it him, right? They said, is it me? Because they'd been with Jesus long enough to know that what one of them was capable of, all of them were capable of. It's easy to look at the Last Supper and the arrest and all of this and to really just kind of fixate on the divinity part of Jesus here. But it's in times like this where it's good for us to remember the humanity of Jesus. Because like like Hebrews 4.15 tells us, Jesus is one who, quote, in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet is without sin. And this moment in the upper room is a sober, sober example of the truth of this statement. John tells us that Jesus was troubled in his spirit in that dinner. That here he is emotionally raw. The last three years of his life had been intense years of active ministry. And now he has his closest friends, his 12, in the room with him. And so also is his betrayer. And moments away is the cross just looming like a shadow over that dinner. But even more than that, Jesus knew what he was about to do. He knew that he was about to take on the full weight of God's wrath toward the sins of his people. And so let us not think for a moment that Jesus is just kind of skating through all of this as though it's some kind of a parlor trick that he's about to pull. Because his burden here is heavy and it is escalating. Here at the start of the supper, John tells us that Jesus was troubled. And by the end of the night, his anxiety is intensified so much that he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's sweating blood. So that's the emotional trajectory we're looking at. It starts with him troubled in spirit. It ends with him sweating drops of blood. To understand that struggle, we need to imagine the scene here. Have you ever been at a table where it is clear that two people at that table are not cool with each other? (laughs) Maybe recently, you get there and you sense somebody, this person is harboring some kind of a resentment against this other person. And even if you don't know the details, the tension is just palpable and everybody senses it. It's a vibe in the room, right? Okay, so you're imagining that. Now imagine that the bitter man is actually conspiring to have his enemy killed. That's what's on his mind. That's his plan. That's how bad it is. You got it? Now imagine, let's take it a step further, that the one he means to betray is aware. He knows it. That's the meal where Jesus has his disciples sitting with him. That's going down. The way John describes this moment tells us that he sat right next to Jesus that night. He also tells us that Judas sat very close, possibly on Jesus' other side. We see how John describes it. He says it like this. He says that when Jesus said there was the betrayer in the room, Simon Peter covertly motioned to John, to ask Jesus who it was because Peter and John were like that with each other, they were tight. And he says, you know, find out who that is. And so John leans back against Jesus. He's leaning on Jesus, touching him, and he says, who is it? And Jesus' answer conceals Judas's identity from everybody else except for John and Peter, saying it'll be the one to whom I give this bread when I've dipped it. And Jesus dips the bread and he hands it to Judas. And the rest of the text makes it clear that nobody else at the table picked up on what that was about. Even Judas didn't seem to know that this action was a sign to John and Peter that he was the betrayer. When Jesus handed the bread to Judas, he said to Judas, what you're about to do Go do quickly. The other disciples didn't really know what Jesus meant when he said that. But Judas understood. And so imagine the moment. You have this proximity between these two men. They are beside each other. Just imagine the bread in Jesus' hand as he dips it and then he, and then he offers it, or he offers it to Judas. And imagine Judas taking it, taking the bread out of Jesus' hand and their eyes meet. And Jesus saying through both of his words and his gaze, Judas, it's time for both of us to finish what we've started here. Imagine what Judas must have seen in Jesus' eyes. And imagine everything that Jesus saw in Judas' eyes. And John says he was greatly troubled. Dorothy Sayers when she was writing her play about Jesus, the man born to be king, she struggled to understand what motivated Judas, what drove him, and she wrote this. She said, what did the man imagine he was doing? He is an absolute riddle. He can't have been awful from the start, or Christ never would have called him. He is a riddle, isn't he? He's a riddle. What drove him? Why did he do this? What do we know about him? There are things that we know about Judas. John 12 6 tells us that he was greedy and that he skimmed off the top, that he was the one who kept the money, and that he helped himself to it. But we also know something about the money that he got for betraying Christ. And and it was the money that the chief priests offered in exchange for Jesus was 30 pieces of silver. We're told that's about four months' wages. That hardly compensates for the three years that he spent following Jesus. Three years of service for four months' wages doesn't wash for an economically-minded man like Judas. So what was he thinking? Though No one can really say conclusively all that drove Judas. There are some things that we know. First, we know the man he seemed to be. He seemed to be a devoted disciple who did the same things that the other disciples did. Even here in the upper room, he had concealed his own duplicity so well that when Jesus declared that one of them would betray him, no one immediately pointed in Judas' direction. To look at him, you saw a man who seemed to walk closely with Jesus, just like the other 11. The second thing that we know about him is that he was destined by God for this role. But although he was destined by God for this role, he acted under the influence of Satan. And John labors to make us understand that. He says it wasn't just that Judas was indifferent to Jesus. It was that he was acting in collusion with the devil here. He says it in John 6. He says it in John 13, 2, and in John 13, 27. Now just think about Judas. Think about all that he had seen and all that he had heard. Every every miracle that he was present for, every parable every act of mercy, every unimpeachable rebuke coming from the mouth of Christ. And what you see is neither the words of Christ nor the actions of Christ penetrated Judas's heart. And he's this riddle. He's part pragmatist, part pretender, part disciple, part conspirator. Maybe even he couldn't explain his own reasons, but what he became was what Robert Rayburn described as, quote, the archetype of all traitors. Judas Iscariot, perhaps the most dishonored name in the history of mankind. But still, at the time, no one thought He was a traitor. For Jesus, as the head of this feast, to offer bread to Judas was an understood honor. It was a gesture of love. It was an opportunity to consider the bond between the two of them. It was an opportunity to consider their history together. And it was a moment that was the hinge on which Judas' life turned, that moment where Jesus handed him bread. It was an invitation to stay at the table. It was a moment of decision. It was a flashpoint. But Judas' mind was made up. And he took the bread from Jesus' hand. And then he left. And I wonder about it. I wonder about all this. I wonder if he unaffectedly just popped that bread in his mouth as he went. I wonder if he was still chewing when he slipped out of the room. And everybody figured since he kept the money that he was probably off to settle the tab or to give the customary Passover alms to the poor on their behalf. But boy, were they wrong. What was he thinking? John writes from the perspective of one who saw this moment unfold with his own eyes. And so, in a moment of poetic flourish, which John is wont to do in his gospel, he tells us what was really going on when Judas disappeared. He says this, he went out and it, and it was night. Light and dark. John loves talking about light and dark. It's all throughout his gospel. It's a symbol. He often spoke of Jesus as the light of the world. He did it in John 1. He did it in John 3 and John 8 and John 9, John 11, John 12. He talked about Jesus as the light of the world. And so what is he doing here? He's saying as Judas leaves, he's describing a man who is abandoning the light of the world to step irreversibly into the darkness. And this departure would not only lead to Jesus' death, but also to his own. What do we do with a story like this? What do we do with Judas? One obvious and haunting application for us is to remember that nobody at Jesus' table knew that Judas was a pretender. Only Judas and Jesus knew this. And still, Jesus was gracious with him to the end, even giving him a seat close to his in that upper room, opportunity to not step out into the darkness. He left the door open for Judas to repent, knowing what was in his heart. And in the end, Judas' path takes him where it was destined to go, and that is out into the darkness and out into his own doom. Is Christ offering you the bread of reconciliation. This is the mystery. For me, as the person speaking these words in this room, I don't know. But is he? Is he offering the bread of reconciliation today? Because I believe in a God who calls people to himself, these moments when we're lifted and struck and we discover, And I believe that God is a God of means. And so I ask you this, is it possible that it would be the story of Judas Iscariot that would ring the bell? Are you pretending? Consider Judas proximity to Jesus and how this proximity to Jesus does not save him. If you are a pretender there are only two in this room who know it you and Christ. And there is grace and there is joy to be found in him but this isn't a game. Judas reminds us, you can sit under solid teaching for years. You can spend time with other believers. You can participate in ministry and still be a pretender. Being known as a Christian and loving Jesus can be two very different things. When we look at the story of betrayal, we see the unvarnished truth of what resides in the hearts of men. And we think, what did Jesus ever do to deserve this kind of venom from Judas? And we see that story unfolding and how it unfolds and it pivots on the fulcrum of betrayal, but we miss the point if we think that Jesus went to the cross because Judas betrayed him. He did not. Jesus went to the cross because we all betrayed him. He went to the cross because all of us have betrayed the relationship with God that we were meant for, exchanging it for what amounts to a pittance. Judas just represents a portion of the betrayal that led Jesus to the cross. And Jesus did not go to the cross as a martyr. He was not in the wrong place at the wrong time and got caught in the switches and that's how he ended up being crucified. He tells us, John wrote it down. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord and I alone have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. Throughout John's gospel, there is this strength In Jesus, this steely resolve to finish what he had come to do. And here, in that upper room, with his heart breaking over his friend's betrayal, because you can't really have betrayal without an existing bond of friendship, Jesus again puts his strength on display. How? when he hands Judas the bread and Judas takes it and leaves, Jesus stays at the table and hands everybody else bread. He institutes the Lord's Supper for the remaining 11. That table. Understand that when Judas left, Jesus reached for more Bread. And he tore it apart with his hands, which is telling and showing us what was about to happen to him. And then he gave it to them. For his part, Jesus did not also disappear into the darkness. No sorrow, no loss, no betrayal would turn him from the purpose for which he had come, which was to die in the place of sinners who are not only capable, but actually guilty of betraying the relationship with God we were created to know and to enjoy. But as you see Judas go out into the darkness... May you also see Jesus, the light of the world, stay at that table, unshakably dedicated to the mission to die in your place because he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Do you love him? Father, you wrote the story. In your providence, you sent your son to offer up his life in a way that would involve a cast of characters like Pontius Pilate and Herod, Caiaphas, and Judas Iscariot, and Simon Peter, and John, and Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of Christ. All these characters, all these people who were in this process and there's so much mystery around it. And yet the outcome of it is that you defeated death itself, that we might live with you forever, with a seat at your table forever. As, we were, as our hearts long for more than anything else, and we may not know that, we may not feel like the longing in our heart is to be with you at your table But that insatiable longing in our heart to find some sort of deeper meaning, to find peace, to find some sort of sense of who we are in this world as we make our way through it, those longings, that's what they're about. They're about being known and loved by our maker and knowing that we are secure in you and worthy of the love that our hearts so long for. And so, Father, help us to see it. And use the story of Judas Iscariot to do it. Have mercy. Amen.